hola, hola, my name is Ricardo, I am the host of the Lucha Jovers podcast here in the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. We are a Spanish-speaking show dedicated to discussing and analyzing pro wrestling from all across the world. From AW to CMLL, we talk about American wrestling, Japanese wrestling, and of course, Lucha Libre. If something big happened in the pro wrestling world, we will talk about it. So if you know Spanish or have a friend that knows Spanish or want to practice your Lucha Libre pronunciations, go listen to the Lucha Jovers podcast right here in the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. Nos vemos por ahí. This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. Welcome to Eurograps Express, I'm your host Neil David and we are back once again to talk about all the exciting events on the British and European wrestling scene and talking about excitement, we've got to carry on that excitement from the last show and have some all in weekend news, uh, absolutely buzzing still, I, I don't think I've calmed down um, from the last show, I know it was three weeks ago, uh, I've not. I didn't do a show last week when I should have done but that extra week hasn't dissipated any kind of excitement whatsoever. I still think I'm, I'm as excited as this show as I've been for pretty much anything else in my entire life. And it's, it's not just the wrestling. It's everything around it, isn't it? It's the feeling of all these little bits of mise on said that are adding up to it. You know, the conversation around it, the meeting people, you know, talking in people's DMs saying, oh, should we meet up then? Should we meet up then? The fact that you can go to voicesofwrestling.com slash allinweekend2023 event schedule map and find an excellent an excellent schedule by Griffin Peltier from the website who's who's keeping up with everything that's happening. How often do you see those things? You know, you see those for the big events, you know, and it's just exciting to see everything Start to get populated there. More and more shows being announced. Um, we've got to preview and review and go to as much as we possibly can. Um, I might need your help with that. I might need some eyes on the ground because Eve have announced a show and I don't know if I can go to an Eve show. I don't know. I mean, it's, it's just, just, I'm not pissing in cornflakes. It's just, it's not my bag. You know what I mean? I think Joshy is something that's kind of passed me by a little bit. I do try, but I'm from the Bull Nakano era, you know, the modern era of Joshi. When people announce, you know, the, these matches get put around that everyone's giving five stars to. I watch them and I enjoy them, but I, I don't know if I'm as excited. But the weekend's looking packed as it is and loads of great stuff there. Um, obviously, the big talking point at the minute from a lot of people is still the card. That's just incredible, isn't it, that they've they've sold... $9 million worth of tickets 
nine million dollars worth of tickets they put on the biggest show in terms of gate that the UK has ever seen. They passed Clash at the Castle and we still don't have a single match announced. I don't often say things like this because I've always been of the opinion that I don't go to shows without matches being announced. And that was something in particular came up a lot when I was reviewing Progress about five, six years ago for the website, that I would always find that really difficult, that I would be buying tickets to things kind of with a little bit of trust there. Um, But with this, it's kind of like the exception that proves the rule, isn't it? Because it almost doesn't matter what the card is because it's an it's an event, it's a happening, as Gorilla Monsoon would say, and, and you kind of have to be part of it no matter what. I know I was a big advocate for uh, Osprey Omega 2, and that's looking a little bit more unlikely now, I think. I don't think it's completely off the cards, but with moving towards Forbidden Door and that sort of thing, it seems more likely that if they do that, it will be at Forbidden Door. Um, which... It's hard not to be disappointed about that, I think, if that match doesn't happen. But I suppose, in a way, if it was me, if I was Tony, if I had the pencil, I don't think I would put anyone on the AEW show that isn't a contracted AEW star. This is a huge flag in the ground for them. You know, the biggest... One of the biggest shows of all time in the modern era, and of like we said, the biggest show in the UK. And you kind of want, I you want to make that your own, don't you? Uh, you know, you you don't want to have that as something that you're using stars that aren't contracted to you to to because they don't need to draw. So why not say that it was you that drew it? You know, remove any of that doubt. As a fan, I want to see that match. I want to see that in front of 90,000 people. But I don't know. I, I, I don't think it's going to happen. Again, it's, you know, it's weird, isn't it, to me, to sort of talk about disappointments. And I see that a lot on Twitter, is that there's lots of disappointment flying around. And it's hard not to get dragged into that sometimes. And I know there's a lot of angry voices on Twitter at the minute saying there are certain people on the British wrestling scene who deserve this opportunity. And it's in Britain. And, I mean, they're talking bollocks, aren't they? I was I was going to be polite about it, and I, I make little notes before I start talking. And you know, these people who are, I was going to sort of say, not looking at it from a very mature point of view, and, and and you know, maybe looking at it from a carny point of view, and they want to be on the show, and they want their friends to be on the show, so they kind of grifted a little bit and putting themselves out there. But actually, I just think some of them are bearing their asses, aren't they? You know what I mean? It's it, There's a difference between being carny and promoting yourself and exposing yourself. And some of the names that are being thrown around by certain people in certain corners of, of, of wrestling fandom, it, it's just not realistic is it to think that anybody wants to see those people at, at, at Wembley um yeah and I, I think Osprey Omega 2 is probably looking like it's going to be at Forbidden Door you know I, I kind of I've got this thing in wrestling sometimes where you, you you come across things and you think does that mean something you know what I mean? Like, it kind of means nothing, but it kind of means something at the same time. So, examples of that would be something like, do you know when you're watching New Japan World on Chromecast? I don't know if anyone has, like, a, a, a casting device, and you, you queue up the videos. I'm, sorry, I'm doing this thing. I go to my grandma's house, and she'll explain the most basic technology to me. 
that everybody has and everybody understands and knows how to use as if it's this you know she's she's putting a rocket on the moon and i'm doing that to you and i apologize but when you when you cast something from new japan world what it does is if you kind of between videos if you've not seen it it's, it's like a, a screensaver comes up and these different stars on there and i remember back in the day when shibata was getting his push they'd put pictures of shibata up there and it doesn't mean anything does it but at the same time, it kind of does mean <laughs> quite a lot. And what's got those cogs moving for me with this news is kind of twofold. One, Osprey's contract is due in February. I think that was reported by Dave in The Observer. I think actually, I need to look this up, but I think even Osprey might have tweeted it himself that his contract isn't up till February or he's been quite open about it somewhere. And that's... Not really that far away, is it? And if you're entering some kind of contract negotiation and you're trying to work out whether or not he's going to stay, and you are you really going to let him have that win back at a pure AEW show, or are you going to let him have that win back at Forbidden Door? I know which one I would. I would if I was New Japan, that's the one I would pick. Um, and also, like I say, the fact that if you're Tony Khan, do you want? a non-AEW contracted star getting a big win over your big guy at your big show. Um, I know New Japan did it. They let Kenny Omega beat Osprey at Wrestle Kingdom, but that's a little bit of a different situation, isn't it? it, it just Again, it's intangible almost. It's hard to explain. It just feels a little bit different. There's also the fact that Aussie Open have signed for AEW as well, which was kind of came out of nowhere. Um wondering if New Japan dropped the ball with that one because it seemed like Aussie Open going to New Japan was a long time coming. And I know contracts are very funny over in Japan, in, well, New Japan in particular. People tend to work on handshakes. I remember being really surprised when, you know, finding out that people like Minoru Suzuki have never really had a New Japan contract. They just get booked like any wrestler would get booked. You know, unless your office, like Yuji Nagata, a lot of people don't work under contract there. Um, just a, a different wrestling culture, I suppose. But it felt like New Japan were really after Aussie Open for a long time. Do you remember that fuss around Royal Quest with um, Josh Bodum and Shah Samuel and all that um, malarkey with the referee and things going wrong and Josh Bodum going into business for himself and losing his mind and all that. Um, the reason why that was so upsetting to Aussie Open is because it was Royal Quest weekend and people from New Japan were there at the show and the, the insinuation was is that they were there to watch them and they had to put on an amazing thing and it, things went wrong. Um, and then the pandemic happened, I guess, and things went in the way. But when they finally started working for New Japan these last, it's been about four or five months now, six months, it felt like, yeah, that that's they finally reached the destination that they've been going to. So for them to flip to AEW, for them to be in United Empire, for Osprey's contract to be up, and your New Japan, and you're sort of reading the tea leaves... Are you going to give him a big victory on an AEW show to kind of welcome him through the door? Probably not. I wouldn't if if I had the pencil, you know. So I don't know. I, I, I don't. And I, I kind of just think, like I say, I think there's a recognition now that people are going to see an AEW show, and 
a lot of people, especially people who are here on the British scene and are, are going to be going to that show, you know, like the Grapple podcast and, and people like that have made this point much more articulately than I can, of just, I don't want to go and see token British people on an AEW show. I want to see an AEW show. Um, Pac and Jamie Hayter and, and people like that, they're going to be there. And I'm not excited to see them because they're British. I don't have a patriotic bone in my body, really. I, I don't. I don't understand patriotism, um, especially for England. But they they're there on their own merit, aren't they? You know, they're AEW stars and, and all that sort of business. So we'll see what the card is, and obviously we'll report anything as soon as we get it, as soon as we're here, and we'll start getting more excited about it. But I've no doubt that it's going to be brilliant. I really haven't. I, I think it's going to be absolutely fantastic. Um, and again, like I say, it's, it's the biggest wrestling show in UK history. And I'm going. And I know a lot of you are going as well. And I can't wait to see you there. But something else has happened. Another show has been announced since we, uh, the last episode. That weirdly, I think I'm even more excited about. The last bastions of Brit Rest greatness, Andy Quilden and the boys, are coming home. Foot football. Wrestling is coming home to the greatest wrestling venue in the United all of the United Kingdom. Not the Electric Ballroom, no. Not even York Hall. Rev Pro are doing the copper box. We're going back to the most inclusive venue. The most dis- disability-friendly venue I have ever been to, and they're putting on a banger. And I, I am so enthusiastic about this show. They just put up a match graphic. It was Shingo Tagagi, Will Ospreay, with the words Copper Box underneath. And I could not book a hotel fast enough. Literally, actually, I could not book a hotel fast enough because I got one right over the road. And again, just like I had with all in and that fiasco of getting a hotel, by the time I'd entered my credit card details, the price had doubled. What is it with London hoteliers? It's unbelievable. It's, it's capitalism on a, on a level that I can't comprehend. They've got the finger on the pulse of, of wrestling. That's, you know, we're talking a second ago about things that mean nothing but mean something at the same time. It seems like Mr. Travel Lodge is, is, is on BritRest Twitter because as soon as something comes up, he's up in his prices. But I've got one pretty close by. I've got one a couple of tube stops away. I've got my tickets. And that... I. It's so weird, isn't it? That this this one show, and I'm, obviously I'm not saying I'm not excited about All In. Of course I am, but then on the other hand, you've got the bastions of British independence putting on the biggest show in their history. Sounded like Jake the Snake Roberts, and then it was it WrestleMania five or six when he faced Ted DiBiase. They go, "This is the biggest match of your career," and the promo. And I, I look, that's I'm, I'm sorry, I'm going on a bad tangent here, but I, I don't think I've ever talked about my love for Jake the Snake Roberts. He is my all-time favorite wrestler. He always has been from when I was a kid. I, I, my dog is called Jake after Jake the Snake. You know, he, he's my all-time favorite, and that promo. 
Um, he's, you know, he'd robbed the million dollar belt and they were having a match for the million dollar belt and, and Jake's there going full socialist. You know, it's like you, 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 you use that belt to and mocked people far less fortunate than yourselves who could have used your money for essentials. And then he says, this time, you'll be the one who's humbled. This time, you'll be the one who makes the who begs. I'm getting so carried away, aren't I? I need to settle down. I can see Jake's eyebrows going talking to Jake. It's what he does when I'm getting a little bit passionate. His eyebrows start to flit and think, oh my God, he's not dragging me out for another walk, is he? But I feel like this is what this has done. It's, it's, it's almost reinvigorated my passion for wrestling. I mean, I'm, this is someone who does a, a, a podcast about a British wrestling scene that nobody watches. You know, I, I can't be more into wrestling than that, really, can I? Unless I'm like Alan Cunahan or something, who, who somehow seems to take it to a whole other level. But it's just... It, it's, it's just reinvigorated my passion for wrestling this whole weekend. It's, it's mad. I, I don't know what's going on. I think I need to. I think I need to settle down. So yeah, we're doing the copper box. If he didn't go to Royal Quest, I cannot overstate how much I love that venue. Um, and when the tickets came up, I was thinking I might go. Pardon the pun. All in on this one. I might go ringside because my wife isn't coming to that show. She's coming to the Wembley show. Um, I just got two tickets for that. But then when I sort of mentioned it to her, I was like, I can get two tickets for this one. Um, But as the kids are wont to say, Saturday might be for the boys. You know, I might be meeting people from Voices and anyone else who's around and that sort of thing. So she sort of said, oh yeah, you go off and have your fun and and, and I'll watch Corrie uh, with a mate who lives in Kingston. So I went fantastic. And I'm looking at the the seats. And weirdly, I could have got... By the time I got on, I think ringside had gone. And we're going we're gonna to talk about ticket sales in a minute because Robin Reed from Voices of Wrestling, Wrestling 101, former Brit Rest Roundtable legend, has done some fantastic work on that that we're going to talk about. But by the time I'd logged on, it was about 15 minutes after the tickets went on sale. And most of ringside had gone. And I was looking at getting a seat maybe four or five rows back, which still would have been a great seat. And I had this moment where I thought, I remembered my seat from Royal Quest. And I was on the upper balcony. I walked in, because the way it works is the upper balcony is ground level and you go down. So I just walked in. Didn't have to, because I've I've said I've got spina bifida. I'm all right. I can walk around and stuff like that. But if I've had a bad night, going up and down stairs can sometimes be a bit of an issue. And I, it's one of the few venues that I don't have to worry about what seat I'm in. And I still went for seats in the upper bowl because I remember that view from Royal Quest was amazing. I think I'm in pretty much the same seats. I can't remember what side I'm on. I'm kind of on the on the side in the middle at the front of the upper bowl. And you could just see everything. You could see the entrances. You could see the ring. You're close enough to get a really good view of the action. You know, you not have to worry about people's heads in the way. I don't have to panic about getting an aisle seat in case I need to stand up and have a walk around. I'm not going to feel penned in. It's just such a lovely venue. And the fact that I'm, I'm, I'm sort of dropping the lead here a little bit, aren't I? Because it's Shingo against Osprey. I mean, what an amazing match to announce. I know they've had matches before. And I think they were in sort of pandemic era 
New Japan, weren't they? So this is going to be main eventing, a British crowd. Osprey's going to be there. I mean, Shingo and Osprey. Here's the challenge. Here's the over-under, as the flagship like to say. Are there five better wrestlers in the world than Shingo and Osprey? Working now, as in, you know, currently, if you, realistically, what match could RevPro book, realistically, that could be better than that? The sky's always the limit with Osprey, and it's always dependent on his opponent, because it's never going to be him that stops the match getting five stars. And we've not even had matches announced for Oku yet. We've not had matches announced for um, Luke Jacobs yet. And here's the funny thing, isn't it? Because people are talking about deserve with the AEW show. Nobody other than AEW stars deserve a spot on the AEW card. But there are some people in RevPro who've done the Southampton. They've done that the dreaded Stevenage shows where the crowd are dead, you know, sat on their hands and, and, and acting like they're in a library. And there are, there are some people who've given their heart and soul to RevPro. And there are, I, I, I think this is... This is the payoff, isn't it? It's not a case of, oh, let's get them on the show because they deserve it. It's not a case of deserve. It's a case of RevPro booking quality wrestling, no compromise wrestling as well. There's never been a point where they've booked something that doesn't fit what the RevPro fan wanted. And I, I, I think that's a, that's an unfair statement. There's been, there's been hits and misses, and I've talked about them extensively, so I don't know why I just said they've never done it, because I've absolutely ripped them to pieces for doing that before, but I'm excited, so you'll excuse me. This is Socratic. We can all learn, even, from it's something, even if it's something we've just said five seconds ago. But I think what RevPro have done is built a quality proper wrestling company that this country can be proud of. And I say I don't get patriotic, and I really don't. But when I hear people talk about RevPro and how good it is and how consistent it is and how on brand with us it is, I just think this is deserved for them. You know, and it's, it's they put so much work from pandemic onwards into making a quality, quality promotion. I'm not doing quality like Del Boy, you know. I'm saying like as in quite a good quality promotion. But here's the funny thing about this show, because if you go and follow Robin Reed, who's fantastic wrestling critic, by the way, he's organising at the minute. Uh, him and Kevin Hare for the website this Wrestling One Hundred and One series, and I'm sure everyone listening to this is aware of it. But if you're not, go and have. A, I think they're up to about six or seven now. And what they're doing is they're putting together the 101 most significant wrestling matches. Now, I thought this was such a brilliant idea for a project because, listen to, I use those words carefully, it's not the best matches, it's the 101 most significant matches. So if you're someone who's getting into wrestling, and we can be very gatekeepy, I think, wrestling fans, and it can be, especially with the way social media works, it can be really difficult to get your head around the conversations that are happening, and people can be very unfriendly about things like this. But there's often conversations going on that if you've not been watching wrestling for a long time, or you've got, some, like everybody, has got blind spots, there's going to be certain matches that are so significant that if you've not seen them, you should. 
because they're going to enrich your knowledge of wrestling. Not in a case of watching great wrestling, just in a case of you can join in conversations now, you can be included, you can be part of it. And it's such a great project that Kevin Robb have done. And they do, they've got 101 matches, as you guess, and they've split it up into, I think it's like five or six every time. And they're split into different categories. So there was one that I was involved in, which is what might have been. And I wrote about Shibata and Okada. Um, there was a great one about multi-man matches. And it, it just leads you down these wonderful rabbit holes. Um one that it led me down, and I'd seen all these matches before, but um, Michinoku Pro stuff, there was the Michinoku Pro famous Multiman was on there, and I watched that, and it led me to Case Lowe's article about Michinoku Pro, and I ended up just spending about three evenings after work coming home and watching four or five Michinoku Pro matches, and just, uh, and again, that, it, it we talked before about reinvigorating passion for wrestling, and sometimes, People like you and me, we're very close to it and we're very in the zone a lot. And it's sometimes you need to take that step back and just look at the the greater world of wrestling and sort of re-appreciate things that you've already appreciated. Like I've seen the latest one is King's Road. And I've watched the King's Road matches, the big sort of main event matches from beginning to end. I don't know how many times, three, four times, I don't know. But having fresh perspectives on there and having people write about them. And the way it's written is fantastic because the brief I got when I wrote mine is, is you're not reviewing this match. You know, these matches don't need reviewing. These are matches that are in the canon. Um, You obviously talk about your opinion of it, but what you're doing is you're priming people. Uh, You're talking about why the match is significant. And to hear some of the greatest minds in wrestling criticism talk about matches that they're passionate about and that's always the thing, because I've been, obviously I've got a little bit of a behind-the-curtain view with this. And I hope, Rob, if you listen, I hope you don't mind me talking about this, and I hope you can hear how much I love it and how complimentary I am. But you're given very little guidance other than that, and you're just, when he puts the matches out for people to review, he's like, who's got strong feelings about this match? That's the question. Not who's got a hot take. Not who's going to say something spicy or controversial or anything like that. It's who's passionate about what went on in this match. And, you know, you know you're going to hear something interesting there. So anyway, I'm I'm not going to stop promoting other people's business now. But Rob's done this. um, He's been keeping up with the ticket sales. And it's funny, this. It's a really funny thing to analyse this Copper Box show. Because there's about 7,000 tickets on sale, which is huge. You know, I love the ambition of that. You know, if you're thinking RevPro's biggest ever show, if you think that if they get York Hall to standing room only, you're looking, I think 1,100 is the number I see a lot. 1,200 reported, that sort of thing. So between 11 and 1,200. So they're quadrupling that. No, they're not. They're more than... I'm sorry, my maths is terrible. I'm really trying to be better at maths. It's one of these things, you know, like... I've got... A, a, one of my good friends is a maths teacher. And he always says about how it's very socially acceptable to say, oh, I'm no good at maths. And then kids hear that and, you, you know, it's trying to get past it and be better at maths. But it's like nearly six times that... I've just had to get the, I've had to get the calculator out. But six times their biggest show. And they've sold 
an amazing 2,000 tickets. This has all been worked out by Rob Reed. I haven't done anything on this. He's he's, he's crunched the numbers. He's looked at the maps. Um, and he's he's really gone and worked it out. And it's fantastic, the work that he's doing. They've sold 2,000 tickets around that. That's the latest number. From what we can see, you know, there might be things that we don't know. This is using public information like charts and things and, and, and things like that, you know, seating plans. So things might change. Uh, you know, there might be things that we're not privy to. But that means there's 3,000 tickets left. So on the one hand, you've got 2,000 tickets, which is this absolutely phenomenal achievement, right? You know, for a, for a British wrestling company to put on a British wrestling show, and I know you can say Shingo's there, but look, RevPro have always had that link with New Japan, or they've had it for a long time. They've always done shows like this. You know, I've seen shows in the height of New Japan's popularity at their absolute peak sell... A thousand tickets in Reading, maybe even less, with Tanahashi on the card, a Naito on the card, an Okada on the card. So yes, Shingo is a draw, undoubtedly a draw, and I'm not trying to diminish that whatsoever. But without Red Pro's fantastic work, without the the trust that they allow people to have. They wouldn't have sold two thousand tickets either with Shingo because we could look at we could look at past data. And I know there's always caveats like yes, there's a captive audience there, isn't there? You know, there's nine, there's eight. Well, what's the number? We seventy, eighty thousand now, whatever it is. There's tens of thousands of wrestling maniacs in our nation's capital, so they've got a captive audience, and that has to be taken into account as well. But two thousand tickets is huge. The problem is, and the issue that they've got, I think is that there's still 3,000 left to go. That building is going to feel empty with 2,000 people in. Especially because they're kind of spread out as well. When you look at the seating plan, these ringsides done really well, um, the floor's done quite well, but then sort of the back of the floor and the bowls are spotty. There's going to be lots of empty seats there. Um, I mean the one saving grace of Red Pro's woeful production is it probably won't be very well lit. So, you know, you might not notice. But yeah, 3,000 tickets to go. They're going to, they're going to have to start announcing something soon. It's interesting about Osprey as well, isn't it, being a draw? Because we, we've got to put him in there. It's not just Shingo that's main event in that. It's Osprey. And Osprey puts bums in seats in York Hall. But what I found really interesting this week is we've just had super strong style from Progress and Osprey's back under circumstances that I will let you read about on Twitter because, you know, we don't, it's a, it's a whole mess and, you know, it's not, no one needs my opinion on that because I'm sure you can guess what it is anyway. For one one of the nights of Super Strong Style, I'm hearing reports that there were 200 people there. With Osprey on the card. Now, there's two ways you can look at that, isn't there? One way is that Osprey isn't a draw. That Osprey had really no impact on tickets. I don't think that's true. I think what's much more likely is at this point, 
progress are an anti-draw. As I said earlier on in the show, I'm as into this scene as pretty much anybody. I, I, and I'm not blowing my own trumpet there. I'm just, you know, I, I do a podcast about it. It's my business to be into this scene. I have to know what's going on. I watch a lot of British wrestling. I, the thing we're doing a podcast is, and what I didn't realize when I took this on is that the wrestling you talk about on the podcast is a is often less than half of what you've had to watch in that space of time. And I don't watch progress. It it just completely puts you off. And I, I think that's, you look at All In Weekend and what they're doing. They're going head to head with RevPro. They're both starting shows at 4pm. RevPro are, uh, are booking the Copper Box Arena and Progress have booked the Electric Ballroom. RevPro have announced Will Ospreay against Shingo Takagi. Progress have announced David Boy Smith Jr. He's going to have to draw some tickets whether he wants to or not. I just I just can't imagine a world in which anybody goes to that Progress show over the RevPro show. And I know this... It doesn't have to be tribal, and it shouldn't be tribal, should it? People are going to go to the... I'm, I'm not saying from a <coughs> sort of a, a snarky point of view, although there's a little bit of that, but I'm not saying it from a hugely snarky point of view. I'm just thinking you look at what's been announced and you look at the post-pandemic years of both those companies, and you can see in the numbers who's done better, can't you? You can see in the excitement who's done better. I mean, the fact that Progress have called their show, it's clobbering time. I mean, come on. I, I just think progress have never been subtle. Progress have always found it hard to, uh, under both sets of management, to be discreet. And that's never been their strength. And I, I, I don't think it should be either. I think what they do, people have really liked at various points in their history. But it's clobbering time. Like, do, what are the odds on them thinking? that if they put that, some people will think CM Punk's going to turn up. I mean, imagine he does now. I'm going to look like an absolute sausage, aren't I? But can he, I, I mean, he's not, is he? Do you know, do you know what I mean? But I, I I, just think it's a bit weird, isn't it? And I think that that's kind of what progress are at the minute. Everything's a little bit weird. They've reached, I think, their, their, their floor looking at Super Strong Style 16 this weekend. I think we... They're finally at the point where they've found their bottom, I think, to use a weird phrase. I think the only people now that are going to progress are the people that just go to progress. You know, people talk about it with Raw all the time, don't they? And I know, maybe not now with this, because people seem to love this Bloodline stuff for some reason, and I know they're picking up viewers again now. But there was a time when Raw just hemorrhaged and hemorrhaged and hemorrhaged, and then it just stopped and it was consistent in terms of ratings because they found the amount of people that on a Monday night, they watch the wrestling because on a Monday night, that's what they do. They watch the wrestling. And I think Progress have found that. They found the the level of at which the, you know, sort of the amount of people that go to Progress because they go to Progress. And 
it's a it's a bit sad, really, isn't it, when you think about it? Because obviously, if I put my neutral cap on and I, I try and put my neutral cap on as much as possible for sort of business discussions, it would be much better for the British wrestling scene and the talent and the people there if progress were genuinely competitive now. If it was like it was five, six, seven years ago, where you had Red Pro and Progress putting on huge shows and competing and having that idea of having to, you know, kind of compete for talent and and, and just putting on banger after banger between them. And that he's kind of sad that that's gone now, hasn't it? I don't think this Progress ownership particularly, particularly like wrestling. I think they like travel. I saw something that came up on Twitter the other day that for Super Strong Style 16, they're raffling off a replica belt. And I would be ashamed to own it. Like, I don't want it. You had to pay £10 to enter this raffle to get a Super Strong Style 16 belt, and I wondered who's going to pay for that. Anyway, whatever. Um, so what else is coming up at the All-In Weekend? Um, we've got uh, a Defy are doing a show. Uh, they're doing... A, a, it's a funny one, this one, because I could be tempted by that Defy show. There's a Defy show, The Splendid and the Vile, at 12 o'clock at the Electric Ballroom. And I'm seeing talk that there's a bit of cooperation there. Kind of like they do during WrestleMania weekend, you know, when they'll say, well we'll end our show in enough time for you to get over and see both shows. Um, But the problem with the tickets is you can't just buy tickets for the Defy show. You've got to kind of buy a package because I put a snarky tweet up because the price is, it's £57 to stand at the back. And Progress themselves replied to me saying, oh, yeah, that's two shows. And I had my finger over the button of, do you know that Alan Partridge gif? It's from, um, the what's the show when he's in the travel lodge? Is it I'm Alan Partridge? And he's just sort of shrugging and going, right, good. If whatever, you know. And he's it, just, the idea of spending 50 quid to go to one show. I don't know if I'm just missing something and you can just buy tickets to the Defy show because I would be tempted by that. Um, also, what's been announced as well is that Eve are going to be putting on some shows um, they've released a, t- uh, a tweet. Um, they're running shows on Saturday the 26th. Um, they've said all the right things, that they're going to accommodate fans travelling in for multiple shows. So um, they're going to start at two and finish at four. And it's a seven-minute walk away from the Copper Box. Um, they've got an Eve X show. Um, that starts at 9, ending at 11. So if you're not going to AEW, you can go to that. Um, Sorry, if you're not going to Red Pro, you can go to that. And I know Eve have a lot of links with um, Tokyo Joshi Pro and that sort of place. So that I I think if you're into that kind of Joshi world, that might be something for you to keep an eye on. I think for me, I'm just obviously booked up with that Red Pro show. That's just... And that's what's so exciting about it, isn't it? Like, if you're not a Red Pro person and you're a Joshi person... There's something on there for you as well, or it looks like there's going to be anyway. I, I just, I, I think that that is just fantastic for the scene and the weekend. That you know, there's going to be all those different flavors of wrestling, and that's what I always, I never did WrestleMania weekend, and I, I, I should have done it when it was in its prime. But one of the things I loved about it was it felt like a festival of wrestling, like when Glastonbury's on, because my wife used, to, I used to go to Glastonbury every year, and it, it, she. 
doesn't go anymore and she loved it but even now she'll sit and we'll get she'll, she'll get the snacks in she'll get the red wine in and she'll you know get you know nice food and just sit on the couch all weekend and just watch this festival of music and that's what wrestlemania weekend felt like you know it was a celebration of wrestling and i always thought that if i went i'd want to go to the grimy lucha shows i'd want to go to the deathmatch shows and even though things that weren't necessarily in my alley and in my wheelhouse so to speak i'd go and want to celebrate them and be part of that and i think that this weekend is shaping up to be something like that in britain and i, I think i hope people are listening and i hope people are watching and, and seeing that this scene does have some potential it's not as dead as people thought it was you know it's something where you can run wrestling you can have wrestling and it be a success and it'll be something that we can all come together and enjoy and if this becomes a yearly event i'm going to be there every time and i'm going to be talking about it so i suppose we better talk about some wrestling haven't we we've got a couple of things on the docket today um it's been a little bit quiet, um, really, but I thought it'd be really cool to go and have a look at Dan Maloney's run in the Best of the Super Juniors. Um, I know it's not strictly Brit Rest, but he he feels like a Brit Rest success story, doesn't he? So we'll go match by match and have a look at how he did on his excursion, um, so to speak. Because we talked a lot, didn't we, about how it's Dan Maloney's time to sink or swim. You know, he's kind of at the point where he's outgrow he's not outgrowing the scene, but he's done a lot of what he can do here. And he's ready for that international level stuff now. And he's had that opportunity. So I think we'll see how he did there. And what pinged up on my Patreon was a Purpose Wrestling show. Uh, and we know how we feel about Purpose Wrestling. Um, we're going to go to the library and see what they were up to. If you do switch off for that last half an hour, if I start talking about smaller stuff, don't for this Purpose one. Because I think, spoiler... But I think it's the best show they've ever done. And I've seen them all. So let's talk about Dan Maloney first in New Japan. So Dan Maloney, the best of Super Juniors. Uh, This is another example, I think, of managed expectations for me uh, these last couple of weeks. Because in the build-up to him going... I felt like I really had to go to bat for him. Um, And in retrospect, he kind of ended up doing something that I should have probably predicted. I know Dan Maloney, and you know that Dan Maloney is capable of having great matches. I mean, that series of matches he had to sort of lead him up to join the United Empire was fantastic. You know, the character work, the story... The in-ring work, everything, all those little niggles about Dan Maloney's promos, character, attitude that weren't quite gelling, just all seemed to fall into place in Rev Pro. And it felt like he was really ready to do something big on an international level. But then you're kind of thinking, well, what is that level? It's a it's a New Japan tour. Um he's going in with established international talent. You know, people like Mike Bailey and Leo Rush and and, and those sorts of people. And that's not to mention established New Japan stars already. So, realistically, it was a a middling record that we were going to see. And I think the hope was that he was going to have one standout match. 
And when I looked at the uh, the schedule, the match that stood out was against Akira. Um, because he'd had that one in Red Pro before, and it was great. Four and a quarter star match. Um, really, really good. Great even. Um, but yeah, I really went to bat for him. I, I read uh, Jay Michael's preview for Voices of Wrestling, and I, I mean, what a writer. I mean, what a writer. I, I remember when I, I joined Voices of Wrestling about seven or eight years ago, and I joined as a writer, and I really wanted to do something that you didn't see very often in wrestling criticism. Um, and, and just write about wrestling the way people write about anything else. So films, TV shows, games, whatever. You know, you can take that almost art-based critical look at things and, and try and write in an engaging way, in an interesting way, and, and look at things through critical lenses. And I thought I was getting okay at it. I thought I developed a style. And... Uh, I enjoyed it, and it was something that I I, I, I look forward to doing and, and getting better at. And then Jay Michael, the absolute tosspot, just waltzed in five years after I joined and did exactly what I'd been trying to do for years and years and years to an amazing level, much better than I ever could do. Um, and his preview was, was unbelievable. But anyway, the point is he asked me to write the bit for Dan Maloney because he, he, he wasn't known on any kind of international level. And I, I wrote a little bit about it. But like I say, I felt like I had to go to bat for him. Um, but realistically, the hope was one great match. One great match. And to establish himself as as being deserving and, and, and hopefully, you know, go back to having more matches there. Um, but it was a little bit of nervousness for me. It's weird, isn't it? I, I don't really know why. I don't know Dan Maloney. I've never spoken to him. I don't, <laughs> you know, it's just, but I just, I was behind him. I wanted him to do well. Um, he had the first match against Bushi. Um, and he, he looked great. You know, he looked like a hit man. He looked absolutely terrifying. Jacked. He came out with such a great energy and he got over really quickly. And that crowd for that first night in Corican. And there's just something about the Corican crowd. I, I, I mean, people who've been can tell me more, but isn't a lot of it sort of fan club members? It's the core audience who just love wrestling, and love New Japan wrestling in particular, and they've just got such an enthusiasm for anything new and exciting, and they really got behind him, and it was great. Um, Unfortunately, the match itself wasn't really... Um, the crowd loved him. I mean, he, he did the gore and the driller killer and he got those over so quickly. And again, if we're talking about realistic expectations, that's what you want to do really, isn't it? You want to get over your big moves, get them to feel and look like death. And that driller killer is utterly... Fa- I don't know how he's not broken people's necks. And I know why, because he's a great wrestler and he's, he's wrestling other great wrestlers and they can make things look utterly terrifyingly dangerous when they're completely safe but it just looked fantastic here and there was lots of little bits that I liked about this match you know the juxtaposition of the chops you know Bushi did a chop but then Dan Maloney would get one straight back sounded like a good shot you know and he really came across as as this brutal killer the problem with the earlier matches I think that he had is that he just needed to calm down a little bit it felt like he was trying to get over. And obviously he was trying to get over. You know, that sounds like a, a nonsensical thing to say. 
but it felt like he was really pushing to get over in a way that I could see the strings. You know, doing too many of the um, United Empire hand signals, working the crowd a little bit too much. He just needed to calm down a little bit. And, you know, he's in a new place, he's enthusiastic, he wants to impress, and it kind of boiled over a little bit, which is understandable in a lot of ways. Um, but, yeah, I think that was the, the, the takeaway from the early matches. It was interesting um, from the commentary point of view. Uh, Kevin Kelly and Chris Charlton were commentating, and I'm a little bit hit and miss on them. Sometimes I really like them, and sometimes I don't. Sometimes I think they go a little bit over the top and a little bit corny, a little bit... Um, I can't really put my finger on it. It's like they talk too much, I think, to use use a a Matthew line, you know. But they were talking quite a lot about NXT UK and the NXT UK situation, as Chris Charlton called it, and how they kind of locked these people away in this warehouse and someone like Dan Maloney burst out of it and had to rediscover his passion for wrestling after it had been taken from him. And for them to be so on the nose with that, I thought was great because it's true, isn't it? You know, these are, we walk on eggshells a lot and it, it's really weird, the NXT UK situation because people walk on eggshells with it. And all the way through, and I felt like I got in trouble a lot in my reviews and on Twitter and other people who were voicing the same opinions as me were in trouble for just voicing what were really obvious things. Like, this is bad for the scene. This isn't good for the wrestling fan. And you often got shouted down. And, and it, But to me, it was the obvious truth. It's kind of like the wrestler's Brexit. You know, if you're in like a room of people, even now, if you say, oh, Brexit's a disaster, isn't it? You get, oh, what are you saying that for? You know, it's, it's kind of like that. It's, but it's just obviously true. And it, it was it was refreshing to hear it talked about so openly on such a, such a, big, um, it's a big stage. And he, he kind of carried that on with the Kanemaru match, which came after Kanemaru, sorry, match that came afterwards. You know, he was picking up the whiskey and shouting English whiskey, English whiskey. It felt like he was trying to get himself over too hard. You know, when you go and see a comedian and a, 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 a maybe an amateur comedian and a, a joke doesn't land, so they tell the joke again harder. You know, they, they it's not natural and relaxed in a way that we would see him in Red Pro. And in a way that, again, that's to be expected because it's not his home crowd and that sort of thing. One thing I didn't like about his presentation, and this was fairly consistent throughout the whole tour, is this obsession over his weight. Because they had this in Red Pro, and I hated it then as well, the idea of him being between a heavyweight and a um, a junior and how he was losing weight to sort of go and there's this thing about they kept saying a you know 250 pounds of power in a 200 pound body and he just it was fine as a as a comment a couple of times early on but they just kept saying it over and over again um perhaps this was exasperated by the fact that i went back and watched all his matches again just his matches back to back in an afternoon um which you can absolutely do, by the way, because they're, they're all like seven minutes long. You know, he's not main evented. He got to a semi-main once. His longest match is probably 12 minutes, and some of them were sort of six and seven. So you could just go and watch them all fairly easily. Um, but they really laboured that heavyweight thing. Um, he was interested in the Kanemaru match because that was, I think, the point where I went, okay, I know what we're getting here. Because he tapped out really quickly to a figure four. Um, he's not 
there to be dominant. He's not someone they put in the rocket ship on yet. They're clearly just having a look at him and seeing how he does. Um, so that, that kind of changes your perspective on things. And that's not a bad thing. He's got to show this company that he can work, that he does business, that he's reliable. And, you know, you look at people like a Chase Owens, a Kenny Maru, actually, for, for that reason as well. You know, people who are dependable and who are there and who are good fit in the card. Uh, you know, that they, they've got a place on the roster, so to speak. Um, He had a match against Yo. And I, I mean, yo, I don't know what the general consensus is. I'm kind of out of, um, I listen to the Super J cast, but apart from that, I'm kind of out of New Japan criticism these days. It's just, I, I very much cherry pick stuff. But yo, my word, like, what is he doing? I've skipped a lot of his matches, but he's doing Kojima spots and things. And it's just so weird. And like, he's wearing Kylie Minogue denim shorts I don't know. There was just no juice to the match. But there was a driller killer. And I think that's one of the great things about this this tournament and this run in the tournament is that you always... They establish that driller killer and the gore as kind of coming out of nowhere. And that utterly devastating move. And a lot of the matches, and this was true of the whole tournament, a lot of the matches had that definitive kind of King's Road ending that suddenly something had just come out of nowhere and someone would be knocked out and it'd be done. And they established that Driller Killer as being capable of doing that. So we started to see these little successes of him getting over. And then later on in the tournament, when he was going for that move, um, and they'd sort of tease it, the crowd would clearly be into it. I think what didn't help the Yo match is that that third night, I think it was, the crowd were dead. I don't know what was going on, but they were just not into it at all. The Akira match came next. And as I said, this is the one that I would have pegged as being the match where he really establishes himself. Because remember, we're looking for that one match. We know he's done it before, and it started off really well. There was lots of big shoulder blocks and flexing, and it felt like they were, okay, we're putting on a match here. You know that feeling you get when you can tell two wrestlers are trying to put on a match. Um, Unfortunately, the crowd just, again, just didn't really seem that into it. You've got Akira doing the usual crazy Akira stuff. Um, we talked before about great wrestlers moving differently and Akira can just do something as simple as a plancher but just put so much juice and effort and devastation behind it and skill that it elevates it and the crowd just didn't really seem to to get into it. You know, there was a great poison rana. Um, he was going for the driller killer and then, and then Akira flipped it into a poison rana that was absolutely devastating so brilliantly but didn't really seem to connect with the crowd which I was starting to worry a little bit by this point because he was two matches in a row that felt a little bit flat Um, and as well he was doing things he kept saying something about him being the dangerous gaijin or something he clearly learned this Japanese phrase and he kept shouting it out in these earlier matches. And at this point, the crowd kind of laughed when he did it, like it was a comedy spot that he was doing. And I don't think he intended it to be something funny. He thought it was a cool line that he could deliver and, and, and get, sort of get himself over with. And he, he just didn't really work. It wasn't something that people went for. 
Um, he seemed, to be fair on him, he seemed to stop doing it after this match, and that was great because, like I say, he was kind of being laughed at. I suppose it would be the same as a Japanese wrestler coming here and just shouting phrases in English all the time and probably strange pronunciation. We'd just be like, you know, we'd think it was comical. His next match was against Watto, the uh, the eventual winner actually of the of uh, best of Super Juniors, which is weird because um, I, like I say, I'm not I I parachute in and out of, of New Japan quite a lot these days, and I always remember Watto being a bit of a laughing stock. You know, there was that idea that I loved for I mean in a good way, but there was this idea of him and his character to me was brilliant because he went away on excursion. And when he came back to be, you know, to have his gimmick and to be the wrestler he, he is, his gimmick was essentially that he was still on excursion. You know, that he's on the path to be the grandmaster and that he's still learning how to wrestle, you know, which I just thought was brilliant. But it's night and day with Watto. He's really good. You know, the final I thought was a great match. Um, but I felt like this is where, to be fair, Maloney started to get it a little bit. You know, he's a few nights in, he's got off... I mean, the, the comments you were talking about him working in bigger rings and all that sort of thing, I don't think that was it. I think he just realised that to be over, he just needed to do what got him over in the UK. He doesn't need to put all these extra little sprinkles on because they're not getting him anywhere. He just needs to be Dan Maloney. And that's exactly what he did here. He attacked him at the bell and that's kind of how I wanted him to be. You know, it was very slow and brutal. Again, the commentary kind of killed it because they were still going on and on about weight and something about his metabolism and how he's learned to control. And it's just like, oh, like, honestly, just drop it. You know, it's kind of like when I'm going on and on at my grandma. Like, I've got this little nephew um, and he dropped a strawberry on my grandma's couch. And I remember when I was a kid, my grandma would have killed me for that. But um, when my little nephew did it, my grandma's grandson, she was laughing her head off and, you know, she's a grumpy old sod, my grandma. And I just said to her, if that was me, you'd have battered me. You'd have literally battered me. Um, and I went on about it so much, I was told to just, just drop it, drop it, Neil, which I hear a lot. And I felt the same with Kevin Kelly. Just drop it, Kevin. Um, this match had... Uh, this this is going to sound like a bit of a backhanded compliment, but it's not. I hope you understand what I mean. Just a, a, the best pace. You could tell he was just relaxed and controlling the match a lot better. Um, you know, there was good back and forth. And I know that sounds like one of those things. It's, it's, it's almost like if you were to make a checklist of gentlemen's three, you know, good pace, good back and forth would be in there. But it did and it worked. Um he had Kevin Knight next, and again, it just started to click. Again, you know, it was well-paced. It was You could tell he was comfortable now wrestling, you know. Uh, again, if we're talking about realistically, what do we want from this? That's the kind of thing that we want. And again, next up, El Desperado, semi-main. It was so fluid, you know. And again, El Desperado, I think, he's criminally underrated in a lot of circles. I think he's, he's utterly fantastic. Um... So he's he's got a bit of a head start with that, but the talking was good in this one, the way they were shouting at each other, the way they were, you know, the brawling at the start. There was just little moments in this when, like, he'd be battering Desperado on the outside and 
<laughs> then red shoes. You know the way red shoes can just do that brilliantly. He's such a good ref. He's the best ref of all time, I think, because he could do that disappointed, stern, authoritarian kind of look. And he's outside standing over them. You know the way he's got his hand on his hips and he's pointing towards the ring and he's saying, come on, you know, you know better than this. You know you can't do this. Follow the rules. And he's, he can play that so well. And then Dan Maloney was like, I'm I'm sorry. I'm sorry, you know. I'm, I'm sorry, mate. And he apologised to him. Then he immediately picked Desperado up and launched him into the post. You know, it's, it's little things like that that the subtle bits got his character over more than the nicking whiskey and shouting English whiskey and I'm the baddest guy in the world and all that business. He, he just started to, to pick it up a little bit more. Then we had the match against Robbie Eagles. And Robbie Eagles is so over. I mean, again, this was back at Corican, which obviously really helped. But the crowd loved him when he came out. They clearly been like us, watched everything, appreciated his work, got really into it, helped that Great O'Khan was there with him as well, to be fair, because he's over as anything. Um, and he just felt like he was relaxed by this point. He had the the freedom to wrestle the way he wanted to wrestle there and, you know, great spots on the apron. And what I noticed about him as well is Robbie Eagles was crazy over in this and he was getting the, you know, Robbie, 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 oi, 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 and the crowd were doing that. There was a guy in the crowd who was doing that and everyone was joining in. But what was great about it from Maloney's point of view is that he was able to be that dominant baby face, uh, sorry, dominant heel to let the baby face shine. You know, the idea that the best wrestler has to be the heel because they're going to be taking the lead throughout the match because they're going to be doing the beatdown and that sort of thing. And he, he really did that role well. And I think if your office, if you're, you're New Japan office and you're seeing that, I think this was the match where he might not have shown the audience the special stuff. That came in a minute, by the way. But he shoulder office that uh, I think the idea of being that reliable hand really came through great personality and the driller killer came out of nowhere and because Robbie Eagles was the one selling it it looked unbelievable he kind of went for a flip and Dan Maloney was able to grab him and just smash his head into the mat and just get and get the win which in front of that crowd him winning in front of a crowd that was so behind. Do you know that thing about in, in Japanese wrestling with the crowd? And you don't seem to get this in any other wrestling culture, but the genuine gasp, the shock of, oh, you know, that big moment feel. And you got that with this match. And I thought this was one of my favourite matches of the tour. But that wasn't the match that was special. That wasn't the match that I came away thinking, yeah, Dan Maloney's got some eyes on him now. It was this next one against Clark Connors. they both been eliminated. It was purely wrestling for pride. Oh, actually, no. I think Clark Connors was technically still in, but he needed to win this. But Maloney was out. And it was unbelievable. They just absolutely battered each other. I am generally quite critical of Walk and Brawl. I don't think it translates very well to TV. And I don't think it translates well in a live situation 
because only a small amount of the crowd can see what's going on. But the way they got over that little niggle and that little problem was by launching chairs around the arena and trying to muller and murder each other. The bumps they were taking and the the danger that some of that crowd would have been in with the things they were doing was great. They were properly into the crowd, launching chairs. There was a bit where they went back into the, not a ramp, but the bit where they walked in. And they were throwing benches at each other. And we know what we say about Japanese tables. It doesn't seem to be these little gimmick things like they have in America. These were heavy benches that they were just launching at each other. And there's just something about two hungry young wrestlers trying to impress. Because they're both in a similar position. I know Connors is a bit more in the system than Dan Maloney, but they're both in a position where they have to impress. Both in new stables. And it was great. You know, and there was a brilliant bit where you forgot the bell hadn't even rung and it went on for like five minutes of them just battering each other. And they eventually got into the ring. The bell rang. And then Connors just threw Maloney out and he carried on brawling outside, even though the ring had gone. It was it was brilliant. The crowd loved it. I loved it. And I think it was a relatively low stakes match that let Dan Maloney stretch his legs a bit. And I think this was the match where he probably earned himself another tour. I don't know. I don't think anything's been announced. Nothing that I've seen anyway. But I, I think if it was me, I, I was really impressed with him. And I think he... He exceeded realistic expectations. I was a bit worried because I, I ended up watching it in, in chunks and I'd sort of jump into the office slack and have a look at conversations sometimes and it felt like people weren't overly impressed with him but by the end, he'd got himself over because he's great and he's Dan Baloney so that, that was fantastic to see. So that was Dan Baloney in the best of the Super Juniors. Shall we go to the library? I've been thinking a lot about purpose wrestling um, and I was really glad to see the show pop up because it gives me an excuse to talk about them. I really like them. I really enjoy watching their shows and I've been trying to put my finger on it because actually in a lot of ways, they a lot of the show isn't really my sort of wrestling. It's that kind of party atmosphere, fun time wrestling that in a lot of places turns me off a little bit. But I've, I've realised from watching this show, Sailor V, live from the library, that what it is about purpose is that it's genuine. There's nothing fugazi about them, is there? There's nothing fake. It all feels real and the people in the crowd love it. It's clearly being run in such a brilliant way in a a way where they want to get these young stars over, give the more established guys a place to work, and do interesting things and tell interesting stories with wrestling. And I get the impression that the people behind it really love what they do, and they're trying to do something that they're proud of. You know, not in any kind of outward way, and you know, not making a big song and dance of that. They just want to do something that, that they can 
sort of stand by and put the flag in and say, yeah, I'm doing something here that I'm proud of. And I, I, I feel that, you know, you can feel that in all of the matches and all of the shows. Um, Say La Vie was the name of this show. And if you think it's a reference to something French and poetic, it's not. It was a reference to uh, the hit Irish girl band Bewitched, the purveyors of double denim from the 90s. Uh, which was, you know, made my wife very excited because they're weirdly one of her favourite bands. I don't respect that about her. I find that very difficult in some... You know, it's it's the phrase that the kids use these days, isn't it? Is um, It gives you the ick. And I, I feel like my wife's passion and love for Bewitched gives me the ick. Um, but, you know, what are you going to do? Been married 10 years, too late now, isn't it? I'm stuck with her. Um the opening match was Sunshine Machine against the East City Sovereigns, which is RJ Singh and Jordan Saheed. This felt fresh. I, I'm so glad I watched this match because I felt like I'd come to the point with Sunshine Machine where I was seeing them everywhere and I'd, I'd kind of just lost interest in them a little bit. I could still recognise that they were great and I could recognise that what they were doing in the ring from a technical and a work point of view was fantastic, but I'd just kind of grown tired of them. And I was glad when their Rev Pro run came to an end. And it wasn't helped by the fact that the end of the Rev Pro run seemed to be a bit of a Curly's dog, didn't it? It just seemed to... Not Curly's dog. It's Slim's dog in a bison men who get shot. Spoilers. Um, and it you know, it felt like they just dragged out the ending a little bit too far. But to see them here was 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 great. You know, one thing I love as well, and I, I love this line, I, I, I think it's fantastic, is that Sunshine Machine don't call themselves a tag team. They say they compete in men's combat doubles, <laughs> which I get such a stupid line, but really tickles me. I really like it. You know, and again, like I say, it felt fresh. The speed of the double teams for Sunshine Machine were great. And they're as good as they always have been, but it just, again, it, it felt fresh. Um... There was a couple of moments in this that were a little bit hit and miss. Like Saeed tried to do a like a four fifty, like is as a joke, but it, it the the joke didn't quite land. You know, it was like he he, he failed badly. You know, it's the um, Les Dawson on the piano thing, isn't it? It's, it's hard to to do something badly, and it, it, it's there was a few bits that just didn't really land quite well. Uh, well, as well as they should but overall like I say it was a really good match and I like that one of my niggles with purpose for a while now has been that they, they often have the comedy match as the opener and this is a personal thing because the crowd love it so it's, it's not like it's anything that I think they should have changed as a matter of importance but this had comedy bits in it but it was still a good bit of action to start us off and I will sing that from the rooftops as long as I do this podcast that your opening match should be action um, but yeah, this 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 was really good. I really I really enjoyed it. Um, I'm appreciating. Um, I've always liked TK Cooper, but I'm starting to appreciate Chuck Mambo a lot more these days. Um, I I think he was he was really really good um, here, which I, I really enjoyed. And if you go on Purpose Wrestling's YouTube as well, there's tons of stuff. Um, East City Sovereigns matches. If you, if you like that team, there's a match against the the eight seven. Um, which is Roy Johnson and Warren Banks. Um, oh, is it Alexander Roth? No, it was, it was Roy Johnson and Warren Banks, but that's just available for free on the YouTube. Um, I thought that was a really good match as well that, that that's worth um, seeking out. Um, so, yeah, great start to the show. 
Next up, we had Maya Matthews against Ray Leverkusen. Uh, Ray, obviously, he's wrestling quite... I know she goes abroad a lot. She's wrestling a bit here. Um, bit of a weird thing here. Uh, Amira Blair came out and did some really weird dancing. I don't know what she was doing. She reminded me, talking to my wife and Bewitched, like if Bewitched comes on at a wedding at, at half past 12, you know, that time of a wedding when people are getting the second wind and the alcohol's taken over. Except I'm sure she was Stone Cold Sober. She was at a wrestling show, but it was just, it was bizarre. Entertaining, to be sure, but bizarre. Um, Maya Matthews, again, is, is, is... I'm glad she's working for purpose. I'm glad they're sinking the claws into her a little bit because she's definitely got a lot of potential and she needs to be working somewhere like Purpose, who are going to train her and who are going to give her positions where she can be in good matches that are appropriate to her. And second on the card in a quick action-packed match was great for her. You know, she didn't have to... Sometimes when she's going over to Red Pro because of the way the women's division is over there, you've got to be higher up the card. You're going to have higher expectations on you. You've got to be in some sort of championship kind of mess but here she was just able to have a really good match and it was great, the pace of this. You know, it was DVDs and clotheslines constantly and it really played to Maya's strengths because she does the comeback babyface thing so well that she needs these opportunities to be having kickouts constantly and, and the fight backs and that sort of thing and, and they did that really well here. Um, then we had Connor Mills against Nino Bryant. Connor Mills, is there an episode of this show where I don't change my opinion on Connor Mills? To me, this is the best match that Connor Mills has had this year. He was so, so good in this match. He's He plays the bully so well. And Nino Bryan is a very small, baby-faced, young, like literal baby-faced, young, blue eye. And the way he was able to bully him here was fantastic. You know, so many little things like the way he dragged him into the ring and, um, you know, it was he was so good. Um, the way Mills as well was able to let himself be outsmarted at certain points and he, he was really intelligent in the way he plotted out this match. So things like he'd do the heel smart thing of sneak out of the ring when he saw Nino Bryant go for a moonsault, but then that gave Nino Bryant the opportunity to do the moonsault to the outside and sort of um, call his bluff. And so many little intelligent moments in this match. Such a great, great pairing. Um, Mill's strikes were fantastic. The way Nino Bryant would have his hands up to sort of block strikes and he'd rip his hands down and chop his chest and so many little things in this match that showed Mill's intelligence and Nino Bryant, he's one that Purpose are really getting behind and I think he's the sort of wrestler that a lot of people would just look at and maybe look at a promo and think, I'm not sure. But Nino Bryan is a... Again, this is going to sound like a backhanded compliment. And I don't mean it to. I mean I mean this genuinely. He is a much, much, much better wrestler than he seems. He's so good. Athletically, he's fantastic. You know, and it would be really easy for them to go down the... Um, oh, he's small, but he's chipper kind of thing with him. But they're not. They're just presenting him as someone who wants to be good at wrestling. Who... He's full of heart and he's attracted the ire of just bullies. 
And the character that they've established is great. You know, like he was cheated out of the championship tournament by, um, oh, what's he called? The blonde guy. I've forgotten his name. It'll come back to me. But then he, he beat him in a match later on. And then he's, he's, he's having a feud with Destination everywhere and he's beaten them. And it's just, he's someone who you really feel his heart and his passion and, and, and purpose of, of, of booking that so well. Um, the way he bounces off the ropes as well, you know, put all that bollocks to one side. The way he moves and the way he wrestles, he's really good. He's by no means a finished product. But again, I think that's what's special about Purpose is that they've got this wrestler who would just be lost in a lot of places, but they've seen something in him, a little spark, and they're giving him every opportunity to meet that potential. And I, I think Nino Bryant is going to end up being one to watch. We're very, very much on the ground floor with him, but he's an exciting wrestler. And and one that I'm really glad purpose of have, have got the again, like Maya Matthews, I'm really glad they've got the teeth into. Next up we had Ian Skinner and Amira against David Francisco and uh, Sapphire Reed. Again, Amira was dancing like she was at a wedding. I don't know if it was modern ballet, da- uh, jazz, tap, or a mix of all inspirations. I, I have no idea, but it it was it was strange. Um this was the comedy match. Not necessarily for me. Um, I'm not criticising that. The crowd loved it. I can't really... You know, if your audience likes something, you do it, don't you? And it doesn't really matter what I think of it. It's just it's... We've had a, a, a series of fantastic, fast-paced, action-packed matches. So, you know, a, a bit of variety on a card is a good thing. What I, did, I do really like, though, is David Francisco's character in purpose. Um, the way he's the straight man. I really like that. You know, the way he's, like in comedy, you know, you look at The Office and you've got all these crazy larger-than-life characters, but it was really important to have Tim, Martin Freeman's character there. Just that traditional comedy straight man. The guy who plays it straight, who is the normal person, and it amplifies everything else, and he's just got this air of authority about him, but nice authority. He's not he he is kind of an authority figure in the sense that he can put matches together and he kind of police he's I think what I called him, I think I'd, I've said this before, but he's like the 911 in ECW, kind of like the enforcer but really nice and has a strong sense of justice, like a genuine 911. And what a what a brilliant idea. Um I like you know, I liked it when he was clearing house because his moves are great and he's a great wrestler. So, you know, there you go. Next up we had Michael Oku against Alexander Ross from the eight seven. Ross is great. I don't think he's somebody I've seen have many singles matches. I've seen him have a lot of tag matches with Roy Johnson and they're a great tag team. Um, he's got a great look, a charisma. You know, he kind of bounces off the screen. A little bit posy at times. Little, you know, again, we talk about being able to see the cogs working rather than things being natural. Um, but I, I don't think that was a huge issue here. Um, especially against someone like Michael Oku. And it's so great to see Oku play the heel. Um, he's so good at it. Just little things like at the start, he didn't... Um, do a clean break. So Alexander Ross just shoved him across the ring. And then he looked, the way Oku looked at the ref, he was complaining to the ref, but not in a, hey, hey, what's going on kind of way. He looked at him as if to say, are you doing your job here or what, mate? 
you know, the way he's thought about it, and he's doing these wrestling tropes in a much more natural way. Um, yeah, this was, again, another really good match. Good back and forth. The way Oku sold the stunner. Alexander Ross did this kind of top rope flip into a stunner, and it looked like Oku had been bent in half. You know, it's just... Both of them, to be honest with you, I thought Ross's selling was, was great as well. Um, great late kickouts. Um, just, again, another really good match. This was such an easy show to watch. It was two hours, 20 minutes. Every match was action-packed and fun. And, you know, but proper wrestling as well. You know, not fun. Fun is, I don't want fun often in wrestling. But it was fun because it was good, exciting wrestling. And it just an absolute breeze of a show to watch. You know, I really recommend this one. Um, great angle at the end as well. I was really confused by it at the start. Um, Francisco's kind of getting sick of Oku and his rubbish. And David Francisco comes out and and he, he, he wants a match with Oku. And Oku says, I'll have a match with you on the condition that I can pick my next opponent and they can beat me. And if they can beat me, I'll have a... Ma- and it was weird. I was thinking, where's this going? I was thinking, this is a bit overbooked. And then the opponent that Oku has chosen is Chris Hatch, the referee. <laughs> so it, just, it was just, again, not reinventing the wheel, but just putting really cool twists on things. And then it was headlined by Jordan Brakes against Warren Banks. And I think Jordan Briggs is such a great champion for purpose. He's he's a if David Francisco is happy nine one one, Jordan Briggs is happy Zack Sabre Jr. And it works. It works so well. He's that throwback thing is so hard to do, but Jordan Briggs gets it. You know, loads of great little proper wrestling manoeuvres in this, you know, kind of like one move bleeding into the next in such an exciting way. And it, it, I think what I like about Purpose as well is, is they play the promos from previous shows. The way they do the promos is great as well. You get a match and a promo, match and a promo. Everyone gets to react to the match, whether they won or lost win or lose and it feels like they're constantly moving things forward all the way through so Alexander Ross had a great one where he says look I lost this match but I've lost matches before I know now about you know I need to work on this I need to work on that I'm not disheartened I'm ready for the next one and it it just makes things feel so much more real and natural that it's so good and at the end of this Jordan breaks in such a Jordan breaks move called out Nino Bryant and said, you won your last match and by rights, it should have been me and you in the final for the belt when they did the tournament. So let's let's do it at the next show. And it, it it's just got such character to it. In both meanings of the word, character is in good feeling and something interesting, but also Jordan Brakes, he's just, everyone's a consistent real character. You know, Especially Amira, who's a drunk ante, which, again, I think is a great character for a wrestling show. Purpose have a Patreon, and they put full shows up on the Patreon. I think it's about £4 a month. Let me double-check how much it is so I'm not fibbing to you. Um, Let me have a look how much I pay for it. 
because I do pay for this, by the way. I'm not giving these shows. I don't. These aren't review shows that I'm watching. I, I pay for it, and I want to pay for it. I'm happy to pay for it. Um, it's three ninety nine a month. There's one tier, and the tier is you've got a purpose, and you just get everything. I I I, I think it's the shows are, for four pound for that show for two and a half hours of really good wrestling that you come away from feeling like you've had, you've just watched something exciting and I, I think this was the best show they've ever done I really do I think they're finding their feet I think as these all these stories that they're telling start to percolate and plates are starting to spin and I, I can't recommend Purpose enough I think they're a great company and I think you should be watching them anyway let's wrap things up Do you remember Tyler Bate? You remember him? I'm seeing some gifs of him from. Uh, I know you can't judge matches on gifs, but I know there was an NXT show when he was on that, and he's. I saw a tweet saying he looks like he's just escaped from Jumanji, and he does, and he's doing all his old moves in a really slow way. It's kind of sad, isn't it? We we're talking about what um, NXT UK did earlier, and I think Tyler Bates going to be the big casualty, isn't it? He's the one that was lost, and at the end of the day, he's got to do what he's got to do, and. I guess Pete Dunne's at least on a big stage doing it, you know, even though it's garbage. Uh, but yeah, Tyler Bates, the one. And what, what we're doing, I've, I've had a lovely, enthusiastic show, talked about all sorts of great things, and I'm bringing myself down with sadness, so I'm not going to do that anymore. Um, don't forget, we have a great Discord. Lots of great people in there. Go to the Voices of Wrestling Discord. There's a Eurograps Express room. Uh, lots of great chat. Let me know what cheese you're having. Um I've not had any cheese this week, other than sort of your standard house cheese, you know, like your double Gloucester and that sort of thing. Um, so I've, I've I've nothing to report on that front. So put me to shame and show me your cheese boards in the Eurograps Express, Eurograps Express room. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Eurograps EXP. I'd log on like once a week, so probably, you know, don't bother following me on there. It's a waste of time. But definitely get in the Discord. Um, let me know what your plans are for all in weekend if you started to put things together, because I'm going to be about and I want to be as a, a, a little social butterfly and see as many people as possible. Um, have a lovely fortnight and I'll see you next time. My name's Neil David and I'm the host of Eurograps Express, the podcast exclusively dedicated to the wrestling of Europe. If it's wrestling and it happens in Europe and it's good, we talk about it. 
Whether it's RevPro, Progress, WXW, Passion Pro, Pro Wrestling Chaos, Pro Wrestling North. We don't care. We talk about them all. If it's good and it's exciting, I want to share it with you. We're on the Voices of Wrestling Podcasting Network. Check us out on the feed. Check us out on Twitter at EuroGrapCXP. And join us for chat about European wrestling and a little bit of chat about cheese. Hopefully see you there.